My dear brethren and sisters, those words that we read from Ephesians surely emphasise the greatness and the importance of our calling. Therefore be followers of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savour. I suggest it would be difficult to find a more appropriate reference with which to begin our service of remembrance and praise of God this morning. This is the very reason we've been moved to travel, to be together, to remember all that has been done for us in Christ. There are two words, I think, which attract our attention, or should attract our attention. The first one is the opening word, therefore. Yes, our attention is drawn by this word to the main substance of Paul's letter to the brethren and sisters at Ephesus. Above all, it is the exalted position of Christ that Paul is emphasising, speaking of the risen Christ, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. Quotation from Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 21. Yes, it is because of this that Paul exhorts us, therefore, he says, our master has been elevated to a glorious position at the right hand of the Father, to be, as Paul puts it, head over all things to the Ecclesia. So in writing to the Ecclesia at Ephesus, Paul is able also to emphasise the immensity of our calling to the truth. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. When you think, brethren and sisters, of the foundation of the world, how long ago it was, how many millennia ago it was, and how many have been called to the service of the Almighty, both under the law of Moses, indeed before that, and then throughout the times of the kingdom age, and then those brethren and sisters of the first century, every one of them called, known to God, before the foundation of the world. And exactly the same applies to us. And here we are at the end of the age. Yes, that word therefore has immense importance. It was 4,000 years after creation that Paul told the brethren and sisters at Ephesus that they were known and chosen by God before the foundation of the earth. And here we are, another almost 2,000 years further on. Now, the other word that Paul uses is followers. He says, be ye followers of God. Now, when we look at the original language, the Greek here, has the meaning of being imitators. Yes, we're to be imitators of God as dear children. It's when you ponder those words that it's a bit daunting, isn't it, brethren and sisters, 
because we realise that there are times in our lives when we've not actually imitated God in certain circumstances. Paul wrote this letter from prison about AD 60 and his appeal is to the brethren and sisters in Ephesus and of course in all ecclesias in the world to recognise the greatness of our calling to grace. Paul establishes very clearly in the mind of the reader that as saints we're in a very privileged position. We are accepted, he says, in the beloved. That's another word you could pass over rather quickly and not think about it. Yes, in verse 6 of chapter 1, Paul uses exactly that phrase, the beloved. And you won't be surprised to find that in the Greek, the word is agapeo. Yes, that self-sacrificing love that is so essential. But the context of the message makes it also clear that this is a reference, in fact, to our Master. He is the Beloved, in whom he says we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. And this lovely letter shows how, as brethren and sisters of Christ, we are members of the Ecclesia, the Body of Christ. Let's have a look, for example, at the second chapter of this letter, Ephesians chapter 2, and just read from verse 18. Ephesians 2, reading from verse 18. For through him, that is our Master, we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints, and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building, fitly framed together, groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. It's when we read words like that, we begin to understand perhaps how we can be imitators of God. We are to be fitly framed together. That demands effort on our part, does it not, brethren and sisters? That within the ecclesia, we should work together so that we are fitly framed together. Otherwise, the structure of the house is in danger. An habitation or dwelling place of God through the Spirit. Some 40 years after the Apostle wrote this letter to the brethren and sisters at Ephesus, they received another one. And this time, it was from the Master. And this letter sent via the Apostle Paul in, Apostle John in Patmos had a sting in its tail. I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Ephesus had left its first love. Doesn't it seem almost unbelievable that a body of brethren and sisters redeemed by the blood of Christ and habitation of God through the Spirit trying to be imitators of God, 
could be so described. What, we ask, had gone wrong? In actual fact, an awful lot had actually gone right. If we have a look, uh, for example, at uh, Revelation chapter 2, um, where we have this letter, of course, uh, of uh, the Master to the Ephesians, it's Revelation chapter 2, very early on in this chapter, we have the letter to the brethren and sisters of Ephesus. <coughs> Excuse me. Revelation chapter 2, and read from verse 2. I know thy works. Oh, that's good. There were some works there in that ecclesia. And thy labour, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, for my name's sake hast laboured, hast not fainted. Sounds a pretty good description, doesn't it? of an ecclesia that is trying to do its utmost to become a true habitation of God through the Spirit. Don't you praise here then for the ecclesia at Ephesus? They were busy. I know thy works. And our master knows what every ecclesia in every age is doing or not doing, as the case may be, because he walks among the candlesticks the ecclesial light stands. He is in the midst thereof. They had laboured hard. They'd been attentive to wrong doctrine, rejecting false brethren, <coughs> and had been both patient and attentive to the principles of the truth. But they'd lost their first love. And yes, that word translated so inadequately as love is the word agapeo, used also to describe Christ and the Ecclesia. Well, to receive such a letter containing both praise and admonition was, no, it is a wake-up call, brethren and sisters. If you're honest, this letter that Christ sent to his brethren and sisters in the city of Ephesus could apply to any Ecclesia today. And it behoves us to examine our true love for Christ. In fact, to ask the question, is he our first love? Is there anything else that is more important to us? The beloved, that is the ecclesia of Christ, is made up of many individuals, each one contributing to the well-being of the others. And the letter that Paul wrote was intended to help all the ecclesias maintain their first love. And that is why on more than one occasion he uses the word therefore, yes, drawing our attention to the priceless gift of God. Well, that letter that Christ sent to Ephesus not only had a sting, but also, of course, a promised blessing with it, which it concluded with. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Our first parents, the head being Adam, lost access to that tree. The tree of life was denied them. But the second Adam has made that tree available 
and we must have ears to hear. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. That is the appeal. And Paul's appeal is repeated throughout this letter. Therefore, he says, remember, now therefore, for this reason, I therefore, therefore be ye imitators of God. Now, this letter to the Ephesians has a lovely analogy that is intended to help us in becoming imitators of God, helping us to avoid the ultimate fate of the ecclesia there at Ephesus. As far as we know, there is no ecclesia at Ephesus today, and the light stand has been removed, as Christ warned it would be. We do not want that to happen to any parts of the Christ body in these last days as we await his imminent return. Now to encourage us and to help us, Paul skillfully blends the principles and practice of marriage with the mystery, as he puts it, of Christ and the Ecclesia. Let's go back to Ephesians and to that chapter we read this morning. Ephesians, particularly chapter 5, we want to look at. Ephesians chapter 5, where Paul speaks of this great mystery. Verse 21, let's read from there. He talks about us submitting ourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, he says, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, the ecclesia, and he is the saviour of the body. Therefore, as the ecclesia is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. That's the aim, holy and without blemish. Now, brethren and sisters, at first sight, Paul is exhorting those who are married that they should love and honour one another. He speaks of men loving their wives just as they love their own bodies. But the skill of the apostle in using his inspired knowledge and understanding is to be seen in the way in which he relates the principles of marriage to the relationship that believers have with Christ. He therefore elevates marriage to something beyond the relationship that some brethren and sisters may or may not enjoy. Now, Paul, of course, supports marriage as set out in Eden to becoming one flesh, verse 31 refers. Well, sadly, we know this can be a fragile relationship for any number of reasons. And that's surely why Paul anxious that the marriages of brethren and sisters should be both harmonious and fruitful in services to God, raises the concept to that of Christ and the Ecclesia. And that then includes everybody, doesn't it? After all, marriage does not become reality for some brethren and sisters. So what can they make of such a passage as this? After all, Paul commends those 
who determine to remain unmarried in the flesh to become wedded to Christ and his service. Not all brethren and sisters have a married partner sharing our beliefs. Where is the comfort for such here in these words? Well, this is surely where Paul raises the whole experience for both the married and the unmarried. We have examples of this throughout that extract we have just reread from Ephesians chapter 5. The husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the ecclesia. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the ecclesia and gave himself for it. This is a great mystery, says the Apostle. I don't think Paul thought it very difficult to understand, however. When he uses that word mystery, in the Greek we find it has the meaning of being hidden only to the unenlightened. Strong's puts it this way, the mystery of God, the secret counsels which govern God in dealing with the righteous, which are hidden from the ungodly and wicked men, but plain to the godly. Again, a hidden or secret thing, not obvious to the understanding. That's the mystery of our relationship with our Heavenly Father through Christ. Inspired by the Almighty, Paul understood the purpose of God in Christ, the Heavenly Bridegroom. As he wrote to the Corinthians, I am jealous over you, he said, with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. All of the characteristics that apply to the true chaste virgin come to mind. The marriage of the Lamb is spoken of in the book of Revelation, as we know. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honour to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife has made herself ready, and to her was granted that she should be arranged in fine linen, clean and white, for fine linen is the righteousness of saints. So, brethren and sisters, whatever may be our current relationship, even if we are happily married and both in the truth, that lies ahead a far more glorious union. If we are faithful in service as the Bride of Christ, then there will be a glorious consummation that will far outshine our most treasured experiences of today. This is expressed so beautifully and so well by the Apostle when he wrote to the brethren and sisters in Colossae. It's just a few pages on from where we are now. So have a look with me from Colossians chapter 1 and verse 14. And how appropriate are these words as we draw close to the sharing of the emblems together? Hebrews 1, reading from verse 14, where the Apostle says, In whom we have redemption. He refers to the kingdom of his dear son in the previous verse, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions 
or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the ecclesia, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence, for it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell, and having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. There it is, that in all things he might have the preeminence that he might hold the first place. That's the true meaning of the word. And it emphasizes just how important Christ is today in the lives of all of us, brethren and sisters. It's not just important when we meet like this, our minds concentrated on the purpose in attending, but in everyday affairs. We read in Ezekiel how the People had apparently been saying to Ezekiel, remember that Ezekiel was almost certainly at this time in Babylon with those who'd gone into captivity. Is there any word of the Lord? Have you got any news for us? And what was God's response to them? He said, you're like people who say, oh, sing us a song. And you listen to the music and you love it and you sing along with it but you don't actually put into practice what you've just sung about. No, their responses were empty to the message that God gave through the prophet Ezekiel. It's a very powerful lesson, really, for us. Here we have the word. Here we open it. Here we are able to understand the mystery of the word concerning our master and his relationship with the ecclesia and with our hope of life eternal but it must be absolute reality. In our, if our master does not have the preeminence in our lives that he deserves, it's going to affect how we behave towards each other and all with whom we come into contact. As we have read this morning from Ephesians chapter 5, Now ye are in the Lord, walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. If we believe, brothers and sisters, that we are walking in the light of the truth, then we must also walk it in all our waking hours. Well, we're in Colossians at the moment, our last reference. Let's just reread again those words of chapter 1 and verse 20, for they will be a very fitting introduction to our sharing together now of the emblems of our Lord's love. And so we read again, having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight 
if ye continue in the faith. And surely, brethren and sisters, that is our determination this morning.